Hello, and welcome to the Dogwood Podcast for this month. I am Dogwood's Mike Sauron, and I'm joined here today with our democracy campaigner, Lisa Sammartino. Hello, Lisa. Hello. So this month on our podcast, uh, we are looking at corruption and money laundering. Uh, and this is a special podcast because it is our first one at our new office at 312 Main in downtown Vancouver. Do you hear that? Nothing. Nothing. No buzz from the car wash. If you do hear a buzz, though, it's a different buzz. It's the buzz and bustle of downtown Vancouver, the, the excitement of the city street. Uh, we're real excited to be here uh, in the midst of it. Um, and uh, we're at a beautiful co-working space. Um, it's got great neighbors. We're Canada's largest co-working space. We've got some new offices here and just love it. But we're going to be talking about another type of co-working today. <laughs> The kind where uh, organized crime and businesses and possibly politicians collude together um, to, uh, to enrich themselves and defraud the public. Their office is casinos and ah, yeah. real estate and so a bunch of other things. Digging into this, some new developments. Uh, so, Lisa, one thing that I have heard uh, a lot about lately is this new Peter German report. Um, this is a report from a former RCMP officer um, requested by the Attorney General, David Eby, uh, that was released last month. Could you give us a bit of a rundown? Why is this report so important? So basically, in July 2016, um, the BC Liberals were government, and um, a report was handed to them that outlined the problems of money laundering at a specific casino, uh, River Rock Casino in Richmond, and uh, and the report just sat there on the shelf of the um, then finance minister um, Mike DeYoung's office, and um, and nothing happened with it. Enter a year later, David Eby is now Attorney General. There's been a change of government, and he finds this report, and nothing has been done with it since the time it was handed over to the previous government. He couldn't believe the things that were reported in that report. Um, one example they said is the River Rock Casino was taking, had taken $13.5 million in $20 bills. Stunning. Uh, for context, that's 20 stories high if those bills were stacked on top of each other. Um, and so he asked Peter German to, to look into the situation. He, he literally wrote the book on money literally, laundering. Literally, yeah. 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 And so um, David E.B. received that report in March. They cleaned it up to sort of protect people who are currently facing or like in court cases and um, some like vulnerable people in, in the report. And it was released to the public June 27th. Well, and, and speaking of, of those people who are vulnerable, like there are real risks around, around this, real yes. human consequences to organized crime and, and money laundering that the government had to be attentive to. That's right. I mean, um, back in March, uh, the Globe and Mail ran an investigative piece from Kathy Tomlinson and Xiao Xu um, that looked at money laundering in real estate. Um, and basically, it... it outlined um, fentanyl dealers' profits, who, of course, they have a bunch of cash now because they've dealt drugs and, um, and they need to sort of get rid of it, and how they've been moving it through the housing market, um, through these, like, lending operations, um, and the lending operations then wire money um, back to mainland China and, and 
more fentanyl comes back into the system. Peter German's report outlined a similar thing happening with casinos. Um, and I should mention, this is only the first report. He has um, follow-up reports expected in the coming months on real estate and also luxury cars. Um, so it's, it's just a huge problem, and there's real consequences when you consider that the fentanyl crisis is involved and that housing is involved, because these are real people's lives, um, and, and people are dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is uh, such a different story than I thought was going on a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. You heard about you know, foreign home buyers or real estate transactions. The, the truth of this is that it really is about organized crime um, and drugs on our street and, and real criminal money laundering uh, at the epicenter of, of this network of criminals. Uh, it is a, a stunning, stunning uh, truth about our province that was really sort of hidden under the rug for a long, long time, and we still don't quite know why. Well, let me play a clip from the press conference David E.B. held. Um, I'll paint you a bit of a picture because it really was quite dramatic. Um, David E.B. stood at a podium in front of the press gallery with a TV behind him that said Dirty Money on it, um, which is, of course, the report's name. Um, As he spoke, videos of actual money laundering from casino security cameras uh, played on the TV behind him, which really just painted the picture of what this looked like. And it is just incredible. Um, The money launderers were coming in with literally plastic bags, shopping bags full of stacks of 20s. Hockey bags, duffel bags. A duffel bag, yeah. Um, One of the videos plays for 20 minutes while the the teller counts all of the money. That's how long it takes to count all the 20s. So this is playing behind E.B. and Peter German as they speak. The clip I'm going to play is uh, the author of the report, Peter German, describing the who, what, where, why of the situation. Unfortunately, for many years, Lower Mainland casinos unwittingly served as laundromats for the proceeds of organized crime. This represented a collective system failure which brought the gaming industry into disrepute in the eyes of many British Columbians. The problem was known as far back as the minister has pointed out as 2011. In that year, a report commissioned by the provincial government clearly stated that money laundering was occurring in casinos. In 2012, the head of investigations for the provincial regulator asked the question, who has $2,200,000 in $20 bills wrapped in elastic bands in $10,000 bundles? So who was doing this? Essentially, domestic and international organized crime through intermediaries was both loaning money to high rollers and hiring its own smurfs to gamble. What did they do? The gamblers, some of whom were dupes, turned small denomination bills into a more usable denomination or instrument. When did this occur? Loan sharking has been part of BC's casino industry since early days but the high-end money laundering gained in intensity after 2010. Where did this occur? We know that the epicenter of activity was at the River Rock Casino Resort in Richmond, but no large casino was untouched. How much money was laundered? We can only guess at the true amount. Our best indicator is the thousands of suspicious currency transaction reports filed by casino operators through the years. The total well exceeds $100 million. Why did this occur? Because it could. So I'm wondering what happened after the report was released? How did the public respond? 
people were rightfully very upset. Um, and interestingly, because obviously like Dogwood's Ban Big Money campaign, because we ran that campaign, we think about this a lot, people immediately turned to the BC Liberals, which I found really interesting. Mm. Well, they were in power during they were the, in power. the duration of, of the worst uh, discoveries from the Peter German report. Yeah, and, and I mean, Peter German and David Eby say, this isn't a naming names, finding blame operation. We were just looking into it and trying to make recommendations to make it better in the future. Um, but that wasn't good enough for journalists. Um, and it wasn't good enough for the general public. Well, you spent a lot of time um, on the streets talking to people in the field with your volunteers. What are you hearing? Well, I noticed a change in the public right away. I mean, we've really? been, yeah, we've been campaigning on, uh, well, first we were campaigning on banning corporate and union donations and ending the sort of wild west of um, big money and banning big money. And so for the lead up to last year's provincial election, that was our focus, talking a little bit about corruption. But volunteers were very reluctant to um, sort of accuse government of corruption or accuse uh, people of, of wrongdoing. And um, what happened after the Peter German report is we had volunteers now coming to us and saying, okay, I want to go out with a corruption petition. I want to talk to people about this. Um, we did a lot of work around car-free days just out there in the community here in Vancouver. Um, and people were coming up to us just to share their outrage and sort of find solidarity uh, with other people to say, this is, this is outrageous. Have you seen the Peter German report? Have you seen the press conference? Um, it certainly, I think, changed people's uh, readiness to uh, act on this and ask for a response from government to hold people accountable. It was just suddenly after that report came out much clearer what had happened um, and how that triangle of money laundering, drugs, real estate, uh, and government enforcement all kind of work together to extend this problem and, and worsen the, the money laundering problem here in, B in BC. Yeah, and also just paint real consequences. Yeah. The human consequences of it, I think, were missing when it just seemed like abstract wrongdoing. But now we're able to talk about lives lost and human trafficking mm -hmm. and uh, gambling addiction and loan sharking and all these things that, uh, you know, I don't want to have part of my community. People are literally dying. Yeah. Sandy Garcino did an amazing piece in the National mm -hmm. Observer. Um, she's, of course, a former criminal lawyer um, turned journalist, and she outlines... She tells real stories of real people who have been murdered because of gang violence related to money laundering mm -hmm. um, and also trafficked. The human trafficking stories she shared, including her own experience yes. um, getting to meet young teens who were, were trafficked, really brought this home for me, the human toll of this. This isn't just some sort of abstract political debate about finance and, and money moving around the world. This is about real people's lives and people who today are afraid and threatened and have their families threatened um, over a lot of this organized crime. And that's, I mean, that's just outside even the, the fentanyl crisis. It is hard to find a person right now in British Columbia who has not indirectly at the very least been affected by a fentanyl mm -hmm. death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think people are rightly upset and they rightly want to know who is going to, you know, be blamed for this? Who has to take responsibility? Well, 
what what is the the story around the BC Liberals' action uh, around B- casinos and money laundering? Um, well, I mean, we talked about the report being shelved even earlier than that um, in two thousand two, which is like right after they took power from the NDP. Um, back in 2001, um, they created this integrated illegal gaming enforcement team. It's like a collaboration between city police and RCMP, um, and it looks very similar to like IHIT, um, the homicide investigation mm-hmm. um, team. They That team's mandate was to look into illegal bingo and gaming houses um, in 2009. So it operated for a number of years. In 2009, it got wanted to expand its mandate to look at casinos because it was very concerned about money laundering. Hmm. It asked for that and released a report on that in January 2009. In April 2009, they closed up the team, and that decision was Rich Coleman, who was the minister at the time. Rich Coleman is an ex-cop. It's, it's just shocking to me. Um, and I saw a graph where they were looking at the incidences of money laundering, reported money laundering, um, over time, and from that point, April 2009, it just shoots up. That's incredible, and that's the moment when they were telling government, we need more assistance and more attention on this. Our mandate needs to expand. Yes, and so after that, um, IGET was closed, that special enforcement team was closed, um, but RCMP officers continued to come forward, casino employees continued to come forward, Um, the gaming enforcement branch identified hundreds of suspicious transactions, um, and when they did that, the head investigator for that branch got fired um, by the government. It just, so many people were raising the flag and, and, and the government did nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, in July 2015, because of these reports out of River Rock Casino, the government finally commissioned a report. They received that report in July 2016 and it sat on the shelf and did nothing. Oh, incredible. Really incredible that um, the alarm bell was sounding so loudly for so many years. And um, not only was action not taken, but people who wanted to take action uh, were dismissed. Yeah, and, and I mean, there are prominent people who are still members of Legislative Assembly, MLAs, today, who made that decision was in their hands to cancel those enforcement teams to fire those people to not do anything with the report. Um, Mike DeYoung, I just mentioned, was the finance minister at the time. The solicitor general um, through like the mid-2000s was Rich Coleman, um, who was the deputy premier eventually as well. He's also my MLA. Um, Journalists, after the Peter German report was released last month, journalists started pounding on his door. Um, and he was nowhere to be seen. His constituency office was closed. Mm-hmm. Nobody would return their phone calls. Um, he was not available for comments for a week. Instead, the BC Liberals sent Jazz Johal, who was newly elected last year and therefore had nothing to do mm-hmm. with the previous government, um, to be their spokesperson. They didn't send former minister responsible Rich Coleman. They didn't send the party's critic for gaming, Mike Lee. They didn't send... Um, their leader, Andrew Wilkinson, they sent Jazz Johal. That's ridiculous. Uh, and what did Jazz Johal say? What did he have to explain himself and his party? He first blamed David Eby for sensationalizing. Um, well, this is sensational. Like, there, yeah. is, there is an element to this that is sensational. Um, 
And I think that it's right for EB to point out how absurd and ridiculous this, this got mm-hmm. to. Um, he then went on the defense and challenged it and said, well, if we're to blame, where are the arrests? Hmm. Again, this was not the point of this report. Um, they didn't, he didn't have any investigative power to lead to arrests, right? Exactly. Like that wasn't what the German report was even set up to do. That's right. And then he finished off with the quote, um, the report confirms that money laundering in our casinos is a problem and that the previous liberal government took measures to address it and they worked. They worked. And I just like, really? I can't even. I, and I feel kind of bad for the guy because they just sent him out there. But like, what yeah. do you do with that statement? Yeah. It is, um, it is incredible because there are people who can speak to their time there. Folks like Rich Coleman. Did he uh, ever emerge from his uh, whatever hole he was hiding in to, to make a comment about this? Yeah, it took a week. Um, finally, he came on Linda Steele's show on CKNW. Um, she did an excellent job of holding his feet to the fire. Um, and, uh, and I have a clip of what he said. All right, listen, the general impression I'm getting from CKNW listeners is that you knew that money laundering was taking place at BC casinos and you didn't do enough to stop it because the BC liberals were addicted to the gaming revenue. What do you say about that? I think it's a load of garbage, to be honest with you. What are we to make of the fact that the BC Liberals took some huge donations from the casinos that were at the center of this scandal? Uh, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's just not true. That's not just true? not true. The BC Liberals didn't no. take three hundred and fifty thousand dollars from uh, casinos between twenty fifteen and twenty seventeen. Donations? I don't know exactly when what, but I do know it was in our constitution for years that we wouldn't take any any donations from from gaming companies, and so that was all during my tenure. That was the way it was, so we never did. <laughs> You're just shaking your I'm head. Just, I'm just shaking my head. Um, well, we is- know they did. Yes, <laughs> Linda still knows it. Elections BC keeps track of this in a publicly available database. It is incredible, the brazen sort of claim of, uh, you know, don't believe what you see with your eyes or hear with your ears. Uh, It's gaslighting by the BC Liberals to avoid accountability for their conduct while in government. Yeah, I mean, it could have been in their bylaws not to take this money. There was no actual law, as we know from the Ban Big Money campaign, to govern these things because they could take money from anyone, any amount of money from anywhere in the world. Um, and even if it was in their bylaws, there's no way to enforce yeah. that. Well, it shows the power of enforcement. I think this ties into so much of the other pieces of work Dogwood does and, and the other things that citizens are looking for in Canada right now is accountability and enforcement. We can pass rules, whether they're um, you know, in legislation and regulation or whether they're in the Liberal Party's bylaws. But if people aren't holding people accountable for it and enforcing it, um, you know, in some cases it's worse than nothing because it creates this false uh, situation of complacency and a belief that things are being taken care of when, in fact, money is pouring into these, was pouring, in, pouring into these parties from businesses that they were supposed to be regulating and monitoring. Yeah, so let's run through the donations because there are some. <laughs> more than more than some, yeah. Rich Coleman is is incorrect. Like, yeah. It's one way of incorrect. It, yeah. yeah. Gateway Casinos um, gave the BC Liberals almost two hundred and nineteen thousand dollars. Wow. Typically, donors give it to the party um, and not specific candidates, but Rich Coleman himself received almost four hundred dollars from that 
from that casino company, um, which doesn't seem like a lot, but especially when you're thinking about $200,000, but that went directly into his campaign account. So it's weird he didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's worth noting, Gateway Casinos gave each of the leadership candidates last fall, $5,000. And just to be, who is Gateway Casinos again? They're one of the, there's three big gaming operations in BC, and they're one of those. Okay. And yeah. Gate, Great Canadian Gaming owns River Rock, which was the original casino that sort of set off this um, investigation. River Rock themselves gave the BC Liberals $3,800. Their parent company, Great Canadian Gaming, gave $127,000 to the BC Liberals. How how can Rich Coleman go on a radio show and say that none of this happened when this is all publicly available? And those are the explicit ones. There's also, like, there's also donations where you have to, like, scratch the surface a bit to Mm -hmm. figure out where they're actually coming from and what what they were related to. Um, Back in 2008... um, Sean Holman, who's an investigative journalist, um, he reported that between 2002 and 2007, the BC Liberals took more than a quarter million dollars um, from private bingo halls and community gaming centers. So just for context, those are the exact same years that IGIT was investigating Hmm. illegal private bingo centers and gaming halls. I mean, related specifically to the money laundering situation, there's another interesting timeline with the donations. Um, Great Canadian Gaming, which was, of course, on River Rock we just talked about, um, they started giving to the BC Liberals in April 2015. Months later, their casino, River Rock, was reported for money laundering, and that investigation started. Hmm. Um, The timing there is a little questionable, right? Like, you're like, why did you start giving now? Um, right when the investigation was mm. launched. And there is a question, is that why the the report stayed shelved on on Mike DeYoung's desk and nothing happened with it? We don't know. Well, so it still seems like there's a lot of questions here. And, and Rich Coleman's attempt to mislead the public suggests... It's shameful. It's shameful. And I think it suggests that he knows something was wrong as well. Otherwise, why try and hide, hide these donations from the public? So what, what could we do to, to find out more about um, these remaining questions we have about yeah. these donations? I mean, this, this comes back to the, like, who's to blame and why did they do it? The only way we can get to this is a public inquiry. Um, we're not the only ones calling for it. We've been calling for it since back last year um, when we got laws to ban big money. We've been watching the connection or the timeline, the suspicious timelines between donations and government decisions. So we said, like, this needs to be investigated. Now we have an actual mm-hmm. case study um, that a lot of people know about, and, and we're saying it needs to be investigated. Well, And it's such a good point about this being a case study, because so far we've only looked at yes. certain parts of this, right? So That's a good point. There were all sorts of industries pouring money into our political system, and... Uh, Peter German only looked at casinos, only looked at real estate, only looked at drugs. Yes. What else is So is we don't coming? we haven't seen the real estate report and um and he's also said he's going to look into luxury supercars. Um for context on the donations there because we were just talking about donations with casinos. Um real estate is a is a big one. Yeah. 8 out of 10 of the top BC Liberal donors are from real estate. We're seeing che- single checks of two hundred thousand dollars. Incredible. 
Um, and this is to be this is over in in yes. part thanks to yes. the work of a lot of our volunteers and staff yes. in in campaigning to end corporate and union donations. But the consequences of these donations we are still living with. Well, in the I mean the housing market, people can't live in the cities that they grew up in anymore. Well, and what about this luxury car thing? Why are luxury cars part of the conversation? Um, yeah, so we'll find out a little more about how the money laundering is going to work when, when that report comes out. Um, I thought it was interesting because when I was doing some of the research for Ban Big Money, I was seeing um, new car dealers, Association of BC, come up again and again. And in total, they've donated $1.4 million to the BC Liberals. That is rivaling, like, real estate almost. Wow. Um, and I couldn't figure out why. Maybe they're just generous. <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting to see what, what that report comes back with. Well, and again, there's, there's so much that we don't know and that we can't know um, exactly. with the tools we have and that government has at their disposal so far. So yeah. I, um, you know, certainly here at Dogwood and, and with our field teams, we're, we're calling for a public inquiry. We think there needs to be a broader sense here. What what does that? Uh, what are others saying when they're calling for a public inquiry? What's the argument here for doing more, Lisa? Well, I mean, Sandy Garasino has has said this is the only way to get to the bottom of it. Gary Mason has come out in support of a public inquiry. John Horgan has even said he's open to it. Um, people really want to want answers. And interestingly. After Rich Coleman came out on CKNW and said, we, we don't take donations, and I didn't know this was going on, and I tried my hardest. Um, the head of the gaming enforcement team, former head because it doesn't exist anymore, um, Fred Pinnock, he came out and he said, that isn't true. Um, the BC Liberals knew about it. And they silenced anyone who raised their voices because they had a good thing going. Um, and he agrees with the need for an inquiry. Here is him talking um, about, in reaction to some of Rich Coleman's comments. Uh, any interruption in the uh, flow of dirty money into casinos would not be in the best interests of the BC Liberals. Um, uh, so uh, corruption can come in many forms. It's not always the greasy little man handing out envelopes full of cash. It can, it can also come in the form of a government uh, looking the other way when dirty money is uh, filling its coffers. Uh, blame should be applied to those responsible. People should be held to account. Um, and it's my firm view that it would be a gross injustice if a public inquiry were not, were not ordered by the BC NDP government right now. The public not only has a right to know, they need to know what happened. It's not pretty. Yes, we have a right to know. We need to know what happened here. And I think when he says dirty money is, is filling government coffers, could you unpack that a little bit? Like what specifically is, is he talking about there? Yeah, so um, there's like two sort of references I think that you could pull from that. One is like the government receives gaming income from the BC Lottery Corporation. So when people are gambling, they receive these royalties, which of course goes into the government's coffers, and then they can use it in their budget. So it helps so them like, balance their budget. So the argument is they're using this to help pay their bills. They have an incentive not to hold people them People like balanced budgets going into yeah. an election. Um, it makes them look like good fiscal managers. Um, 
on top of that, there's gaming grants that go to charities and, and community organizations. Um, so it's good, it's good government and, uh, and sort of that's how they see it. Um, the flip side, which we've already talked about at length, is filling their own campaign coffers. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a gazillion dollars going into the last election. Um, and, and so, I mean, we can consider that as well. What do we do? What, what do we do? What can we do about this, Lisa? This is uh, appalling. This is terrible. What, what's next for us? What can we do to help? So, I mean, what's next is um, a public inquiry. We hope. We're all calling for it. Um, we can't, the government can just call an inquiry. Ford did it. <laughs> in Ontario. <laughs> um, but it looks like David Eby is a little more careful. He wants a solid foundation to be able to ca- make that call. Um, and he's like sort of carefully dotting his eyes. And, Wait, are and you suggesting that our attorney general uh, is, is planning this out better than the premier of Ontario? <laughs> well, <laughs> only time Quite the tell. claim, Lisa. <laughs> so, I mean, other jurisdictions that have done public inquiries like in Quebec, the Charbonneau Commission started with an independent police task force to investigate the situation. Um, The government, the attorney general needs to call for it. They need federal funds to do that. Um, But once it's called, they'll be, the government will be completely hands off and it'll investigate to see if there's anything here. Um, That's what we're asking for at this point. we want a formal investigation that looks at the causes and looks at the people who made decisions and why they made those decisions. There is a larger sort of issue at play here, and that's like the state of our democracy. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we can sort of we can address the cracks that allow money laundering, and we can um, try to fix some of those. We can assign blame, but really, like our, our democracy is shaking here. Um, and if we allow corporations, some of which who aren't even from BC, have such a hold over our government, um, we've seen that literally leads to people dying and losing their homes. Um, and I don't think we can consider ourselves a strong democracy because of that. We need to get to the bottom of this mm-hmm. situation, um, root out the problem, fix it so it never happens again. Um, and this is, more, this is about more than just money laundering. It's about creating a system in which the government is truly accountable to the people. Um, and it's important to remember, politicians work for us. Yeah. BC is an awesome place to live. Like, we all live here. Um, people move here from, I mean, you moved from Alberta. I did, yeah. Um, and, like, we need, we need to do something about it. You know, we, we love our home. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to see it fall like this. I am very proud of British Columbia. I'm proud to be a British Columbian. And when I see stories in the New York Times about, mm-hmm. you know, the laundry machine of BC casinos for fentanyl dealers, it's, it's embarrassing. It's disgraceful. Um, it's, you know, as a citizen, I feel obligated uh, to take action to slow this you know, drug money train mm-hmm. uh, just because of the human impact of it. I don't want my community mm-hmm. to be part of this, this cycle of violence. Mm-hmm. And government can do something about it, but they won't unless we exactly. have their back and push them to do it and support the people who are, are taking action, yeah. like, like Attorney General Dave Eby yeah. and, and the other folks who've been on this. So our listeners can send an email to David Eby. Um, I will put the links to the, 
that petition in um, the show notes for this podcast. But if you are on the internet and you want to find it, you can just go to dogwoodbc.ca and scroll down to the current petition section. It's right there. Send your email to David Eby. Sign the petition at corruptbc.ca. We've already had I think 5,800 people sign it. Um, so join join those people and and take a stand. Um, we do need to support our politicians to make decisions that will structurally reframe society so that it works for us. Mm-hmm. An investigation is one way to do that. Another way is to look forward and think about the system we want to create um, and and start thinking about the referendum in the fall for proportional representation. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people who don't want a public inquiry, and there are a lot of people who don't want proportional representation. That Venn diagram overlaps it does. Uh, quite a bit as well, which is interesting. It does. Um, I mean, Rich Coleman is a good example. Yeah. He talks often about not wanting proportional well, representation. Suzanne Anton is, you yeah. know, I, I can't believe she's invited on, on the radio often to talk about issues and isn't asked about her time in the B.C. liberal government as attorney general. Yeah, for sure. And... Um, and so I think like it's important to ask the questions about who those people are that are telling us they don't want to change the system and how they benefit from the current system. Well, and I think people's people speaking up, it's already had an impact. Rich Coleman has ended his bid to be mayor yeah. of Surrey. Um, which is s- weird because he lives in Langley. <laughs> which, Anyways. Which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So there's already been political consequences for some of the people who've been involved, and and hopefully we can see uh, even more. And part of how we get there is is getting people to organize and and do this work. I mean, democracy is not automatic. Mm -hmm. Um, Justice is not automatic. It requires the involvement and effort of people. Uh, And here at Dogwood, we we try and bring ordinary people together to, to contribute as much they can collectively you know, we've been out a lot in the, the summer on beaches and at festivals, and, and people are bringing questions about the corruption inquiry forward. It's pretty clear people, people have more questions that we hope will get resolved over the fall. But as these Peter German reports, the next one, keep coming out, keep coming out um, this is an opportunity for us to keep connecting with people and grow the group um, of, of citizens and residents uh, like us who are calling on, on EB and our local MLAs uh, to keep working on this. We need our government to expand into an independent inquiry, a more full inquiry, and we can do that by just getting other people to raise their hands and say they support it. Um, this fall, we can be knocking on doors, we can be um, out at public events, uh, we can be organizing town halls and other things just to get more people talking about this. And, and this is the work that we do in our local dogwood teams. So if you're not part of a local dogwood team yet, uh, this is a great moment to do it, especially if you're focused on uh, corruption and uh, the Kinder Morgan pipeline and some of the other issues that we've been on for many years that are kind of peaking and, and reaching these key moments where ordinary folk can have a difference. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get involved, you can visit dogwoodbc.ca slash volunteer, and it's a, a quick form to fill out, and we'll be in touch with you to uh, get you out there, talking to more people, and uh, letting them know what they can do to help protect BC. I think we have covered so much today. There's a lot going on. Um, I hope people feel like they have enough information to get involved and at the very least send their letter to David Eby. We need to raise our voices now. Mm -hmm. 
It's a, it's a moment. And if people want to read the reports mm-hmm. or the news articles that you've shared. I'll put shared, them in the show notes. They'll all be in the show notes. Um, if you like this episode, um, please give us a shout out on Twitter at DogwoodBC. Give us a comment on Facebook or send us a message on Facebook at DogwoodBC. Send us an email dogwood at dogwoodbc.ca and give us a rating on wherever you're listening to this podcast we're on iTunes we're on Google Play we're on a lot of other things that I don't know Um, and uh, and more importantly tell your friends about it the more we can share this message the better it'll be Um, there are a lot of people doing really good work And I think it's important to highlight that right now um, because this is pretty dark. Money laundering, drug dealers. These aren't fun topics. No, but there are so many people trying to, working so hard, trying to make the world a better place and trying to do things about it. Um, Not just journalists, not politicians, although journalists are doing a great job. There's politicians speaking up. There's like regular people out there, your volunteers. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to all the volunteers who've been collecting signatures on this, uh, who've been calling uh, the Attorney General and their local MLAs, visiting their offices mm-hmm. to you know, share their concern for the lives that have been affected by money laundering mm-hmm. and fentanyl and gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, and on top of that, a huge shout out to the social workers and the I, nurse practitioners. I used to be a social and, worker, so that yeah. makes me happy. Um, there's you know, people who've dedicated their lives to working in this field. So... I want to thank them, uh, too, because they are working hard to, to protect our community, and, and we've got to make the problem a little easier for them by stopping the flow. Democracy isn't just what happens at Victoria or Ottawa. It's not just what happens on election days. Democracy is about people making their community better and shaping it into what they want their future to look like. The people you mentioned are doing exactly that. Um, and so... I think it's important to remember, like, even just by listening to this podcast, you're participating in something, um, and you're part of a collective that is actually trying to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what's going to change our future for the better. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Mike. Let's go make the world better. <laughs>